Um, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Series, Speaker Step Series. And now we're going to have our joke by Dana. Come on up. Hi, everybody. I'm Dana, and I'm your alcoholic joke teller for the evening. So, I really want to thank you for sticking with me through all the years of drinking and the first five years of my sobriety, said the AA to her spouse, on her fifth year anniversary. But I'm curious, if I started drinking again, would you still love me? After pondering the question for about a tenth of a second, her husband said, of course I'd still love you. I'd miss you, but I'd still love you. Thank you, Dana. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Tyler. Tyler. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Turn off all your devices that make noise, that might distract uh, yourself or others. Um, Take this time to connect to God and let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you to stay focused on the step study tonight. And now, is everyone ready? Uh, If so, let's start the meditation. Please say, please 
Welcome back. Now let's uh, join, please join me in the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered, discovered a common solution. We have a way out which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who are suffering from alcoholism. I've asked Mike to read the Appendix 2 Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12, 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to, to know what one is. Come on up, Mike. We covered our product, Mike. Spiritual experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheaval. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom be accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think of this awareness of a power greater than ourselves as the essence of the spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but they are indispensable. There is a principle which is the bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567-568. Thank you, Mike. 
All right, so please refrain, refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so put your phone on airplane mode or just turn them off. And uh, without further ado, Paulette, we have her for the next 12 weeks. It's a packed room. How about that? Can't wait to, to hear from you, and come on up. That was quick. Yeah. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> I was just settling in. <laughs> uh, wow. Haven't done this in uh, quite a number of months. So I feel like a, a newbie. Um, but I don't want to waste time. Uh, I need to introduce myself because I need to hear it. Um, so I get into that and then I need to say something about Mike. So I'm so, um, I would like to start by um, introducing myself to you the way I was taught to do so when I first crawled into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was taught to say I am an alcoholic. And I have a home group. And my home group is the one day at a time group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My home group meets every Wednesday at 8 p.m., I am sponsored, and I sponsor. And to me, that's the difference between work and working. I do have a sober date, and my sober date is January 28, 1995. And my name is Paulette. Hello, fellow travelers. Thank you so much to this group. I want to say something to Mike. Um, and get it out of the way before I get into step one because this is 12 weeks of diving into the steps and see what the God of my understanding is going to disclose to me that I have not seen for a while or maybe I haven't seen it before. Uh, in last year, 2022, I was doing um, service work at the 12-step um, house. That's where I met Mike. And Mike would come every Tuesday and in support, as well as to hear the message for himself. And we became fast friends. Well, in doing that friendship, he asked me if I would come here to do service. I wasn't inclined. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I am not one of those alcoholics who jump immediately when asked to do service. I, I still struggle with that. Also, I'm trying to get a balance, and so I rationalize this. So Mike wouldn't give up, because he's an alcoholic like me. I can take his inventory. So he stalked me. And, um, <laughs> and maybe, about, um, maybe about a month before I finished up, or two months, I'm not sure about the timeline, I finally gave in, I surrendered. And I said, okay, I'll do it for next year. And why I want to say this is, I am going to be talking about God as I understand God. If you are here tonight and you're not comfortable with that concept, um, I ask you to keep an open mind and, and, and just, make, just sit back and listen. Maybe something that will come out of me tonight will help you make a decision. Because that's how I came to have this God. That's how it started. But I am going to tell you 
how the God of my understanding works. When I said yes to Mike, I was dealing with a situation that wasn't drastic, but it was challenging. I had no idea what my life was going to look like. But I knew that I was going to be able to do be of service. And whenever I get into service, remarkable things always happen. And in the midst of that, I said yes. What happened was, I let that go, finished my service, and went on with my life. And then one day, in 2022, my life changed. Little did I know that the love of my life for 41 years was going to die. And I'm telling you this not for sympathy or to, to, I'm telling you how the God of my understanding works. Because I had committed to this service commitment. My life changed. Little did I know it was going to change in such a dramatic way. I don't know why I didn't think it was going to be dramatic. I'm an alcoholic drama, you know, but it was very dramatic, traumatic. And that commitment is what I, I held on to, even though I did service here and there. But it was that light at the end of the tunnel that was there for me. And when I said yes prior to that, I had no clue. That's how my God works. It's amazing. Remarkable. So I just wanted to say, Mike, thank you for stalking me. I appreciate it very much. Uh, I just want to say something um, before I get into, um, sorry, get my big book out. Uh, we are on step one. We're going to start on step one because um, that's how it works for me. I am going to be sharing about how the step works for me. I will be sharing about my experiences, my strength and my hope, um, working the steps and and getting the benefit of the principles in my life. And I just want to start with something my one of my sponsors, Dorothy H., gave me before she passed away. And um, if I can find it, I mean, I'll just wing it for now. I've been saying it for a long time. It's a set-aside prayer. I like to say it before I get into um, sharing my experience, strength, and hope. It's my way of asking God to speak through me. And it goes like that, this. Dear God, please help me to set aside everything I think I know about myself. Everything I think I know about this step. Everything I think I know about my alcoholism. But especially everything I think I know about you. So that I may gain an open mind to a new experience. Please, God, help me to see the truth. Thank you. So, as you all know, those of you who have heard me before, I have to read the step as it's written. Why? Because I have this thing about me that I like to put stuff up, I make stuff up. 
I stopped swearing. I had a nice way of saying it, but it had curse words. So I stopped swearing to the best of my ability. Today I was up to seven curse words. Um, so I like to read it as it's written. It helps me to remember what the step is asking me to do. And step one says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's what step one says. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, when, I, when, I was, when I crawled into Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't come here to find God. I need you to know that, full disclosure. God and I didn't have a relationship. So when I looked at the name of this group, Alcoholics and God, I was like, oh, I had to go back and look at what that means. What, 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 how did I get here? Well, I got to tell you something. I washed up in Alcoholics Anonymous because it was the last house on the block that would take me in. And I'm grateful that I'm talking about the step one with Edward. Edward is the name of the love of my life. Edward brought me to my first AA meeting, and I want to tell you something. I want to talk about, while I was reading, rereading the steps through the big book, I like Dr. Silkworth. Love Dr. Silkworth a lot. Um, he's a normie. He was a normie. But he loved alcoholics. And he was on the fire line, as he says, watching us kill ourselves. Because he understood what torture alcoholics go through, like myself. And so I was thinking about it when I first was walked to my first AA meeting. Edward took me to my first AA meeting. But I'm going to back up for a minute because I want to tell you something. I break down the steps, no matter how long I've been working them, in bite-sized pieces. It works for me. After all, this is my experience, strength, and hope. It's how it works for me. And as I was rereading it, one word just keep on just sticking out. Just kept going on and on over in my mind. And that word is admit. I don't know about you, but that's a dirty word for me. I never would admit to anything. My, one of my sponsees, Philomena, used to say, I would rather climb a tree than to tell the truth. That's admit. I wouldn't admit. And this word kept coming up and coming up. And so I looked at it from a different perspective. What does admit means to me in this first step? And it is it's telling the truth for the first time in my life. But how did that come about? I think the word for me through my experience is admit really means to me, it comes with a depth and a width and that it is divine to me in that moment when I was able to do it. But how did I come there? Many, many years, over 20, uh, 22 years of drinking. I am an alcoholic who had no problem with alcohol except that I, could, I couldn't drink, any, drink it anymore. It was going to kill me. I am one of those alcoholics who had a love affair with alcohol. I drank for the effect. I didn't drink to go out. 
I didn't go out to drink to have conversation. That wasn't my, my task. My task was to kill whatever was making me ill, at ease, discontented, or irritable. Because that was my natural state when I wasn't drinking. And so when I went out to drink, I was one of those alcoholics who didn't go out for just a drink around the corner bar. He was one of those alcoholics who went out for a drink that lasted four days. So I'm serious about what I'm telling you, that my illness, my alcoholism is serious. I wasn't one of those women who crossed my leg and drank out of champagne glass with pink colored liquids. I am not one of those alcoholics. I am one of those alcoholics who drank no ice, straight up, and, um, and out of the bottle, if, the, if that called for it. I drank only with men, because you didn't talk too much. Women talk too much. You know, it, I am describing the type of alcoholic that I, 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 I am, okay? I, I have to tell you this if I'm going to tell you how I came to the word admit. Because to me, that was the crux of the whole thing. If I couldn't do it, I wouldn't be standing here. And so, this is the person that I was when I was drinking. And so, I did not have to do any kind of controlled drinking, as it talks about in the solution. This is a solution. I am not one of those alcoholics who tried to control her drinking. See, I've never cheated on it. I was in love with it. When you're in love with something, you don't cheat. You do everything within your power to make sure it never leaves you. That's me and alcohol. And so when I got here and, you, and I heard people talk about controlled drinking, I didn't identify because I never controlled it. I drank and I passed out and I came to and I started all over again. I just bought some time. This is the kind of depth I went through. So what I'm saying to you is, I gotta tell you how that admit, admitted, means to me on the, with the depth and the whip that it comes to me because I knew, I didn't know it back then. I'm in one of those after hours club because that's where I like to drink, where I didn't see faces. And I went out into what they, the big book described as blackouts. And I would come to in this after hour club. I got sober in Brooklyn, New York. And in that moment, in that moment, the bartender asked me if I was okay. My sponsee Mina calls that a God shot. I used to say some moment of clarity. I don't anymore. Because an alcoholic like me that I describe don't ever tell you what's going on. But in that moment, I said to this bartender, no, I'm not okay. As if somebody spoke to me or through me. 
And he says, can I get help for you? And I said, yeah. Now, I've been doing this for a very long time, and I've never, ever called Edward at home. And yet I gave this bartender Edward's number. And Edward, and he called Edward. Now, if you drank in the kind of places that I drank in, they don't do stuff like that. And he called Edward, and Edward comes to this dark alley. I'm sure he was thinking, what the hell, how did she find these places? But if you're an alcoholic like me, you find these places easily. You're just drawn to them. You know, we're attracted to stuff like that and people like that. And he picks me up, and we're going home in the car. And this is where admit means a lot to me. In that moment, Edward says to me, what do you want to do now? He's never asked me that question. And I looked at him, and I said in that moment, take me to the psychiatric hospital. Where did that come from? That's word admitted is a deep, deep, deep. It is divine to me. It's the depth of how I came to in a moment where out of nowhere comes these words. I'm asking for help because I am one of those alcoholics that is always self-reliant. Self. Even when I know I need you, I don't ask. And in that moment, that word admit was operating and I had no clue it was. And so one of the things that I remembered when I said it to him, he just looked at me and he took me to the psychiatric hospital. That word continues to operate through my three-day weekend in the sobering station at Kings County Psychiatric Hospital. And I had no clue. That's why I said the depth of that admit goes deeper than I ever realized until I was researching and rereading Step 1 and Dr. Silkworth recently. I realized how deep that was for me to admit an alcoholic like me in that moment and allowed myself to be carried in places that I did not know what was going to happen to me. And so when I realized that as I was rereading and reflecting on my past, on my journey to you, I realized how deep that admittance was. Thank God I had no clue because I probably would have messed it up. And so I, I came to you on the word admit and not knowing what it was about. See, I always thought Alcoholics Anonymous meant American Airlines. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I am one of those people who never associated with anybody in recovery. Um, why would I? There was no need because I didn't have a problem. And so in that moment when I'm telling you I got through the psychiatric hospital and I was sent to you guys, I realized that I was in deep trouble. So when I got here, the we part of the first step is important to me because I did not rely on anybody but me. I'm going to read you something from a, 
from one of the, the um, my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the, the book. It talks about an alcoholic woman that I relate to so deeply because I want to tell you that's the person who walked, washed up in Alcoholics Anonymous. And she starts by talking about me. I'm self-centered to the core, so it had to be me she was talking about. And she says, the mental twist that led up to my drinking began many years before I ever took a drink. For I am one of those whose history proved conclusively that my drinking was a symptom of a deeper trouble. Through my efforts to get down to causes and condition, I stand convinced that my emotional illness has been present from my earliest recollection. I never did react normally to any emotional situation. And when I read that for the first time, I identified that was me who crawled into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so, this is what I grew up believing. I grew up believing that I had to be fully self-sufficient. For I should never dare depend on anyone for anything. That was me. I thought that life was pretty simple. All that life simply had to do was make a plan for my life based on what I wanted, self, and then what I needed, self, and then the courage to go after it. My courage was in a bottle, liquid, brown, preferably. <laughs> and so that's the part of me that I, I, I have to talk to you about when I walked in here. The we of Alcoholics Anonymous. I did not have a relationship with the God of my understanding, but I have to tell you what you guys look like for a person who is entering Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time. You just look just like you look now. Happy. Light shining in your eyes. You look like the emoji that winks. <laughs> you know the happy emoji that winks? And that's what I, that's what I equate with God speaking through you. As I, th I think of that, you're happy no matter what's going on. So I became suspicious. So one of the things that step one talks about, it says, in the, in the 12 and 12, it says, who cares to admit complete defeat? Certainly not me. Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct in me cries are out against the idea of personal powerlessness. A self-reliant uh, person like myself who have drank myself out of every possible ambition that I could ever dream of did not want to admit that I could not handle drinking anymore. Alcohol has turned on me. And so when this part of the 12 and 12, step one, the first paragraph hits me, like a ton of bricks, it says, it is truly awful to admit that glass in hand, I have warped my mind. I read in first person when I read the book. I have warped my mind into such an obsession for of destructive drinking. 
that only an act of providence can remove it from me. That's what the first paragraph in the 12 and 12 says in step one. And I shivered when I read it because I understand it now. Back then I didn't. But the we was you. Here was a group of alcoholics that have been recovered from what I did not know what I had. So I had to go through Dr. Silkwood, my favorite normie. And I had to find out what is it that I got. Step one is talking about that I have to admit that I'm powerless over alcohol. And I have to have something. And you can't solve for me. I can't solve anything unless I know what the problem is. You know, because all my life I've always been using wrong methods and getting wrong outcomes all my life. And it wasn't my fault, it was yours. Because somehow you didn't listen to what I wanted you to do and you messed it up. So I've never taken responsibility or I've never been accountable for my behavior. You know, and I have a disease I didn't know I had. I don't have anyone in my family who identifies with alcoholism even though they have the traits. And so when I came to you guys, I had to go to the book, which I am a very, very big proponent for. Please read your big book and don't tell me you don't have no money to buy it. Because alcoholics are very resourceful. If you're like me, you wake up with no money in your pocket and by midday you're buying the whole block drinks. So you need to have your books, buy your big book, because it's there I found me. I read it when I couldn't sleep at night. Because when I was coming to, as they say, I didn't go to rehab. I got sober in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so they would tell me to read the big book or the living sober book whenever I couldn't sleep at night. Because of course I drank for over 20 odd years, so my sleeping pattern was off. And so, I, and then I went to AA and started drinking coffee. <laughs> That's the kind of mind I have. You know, you pour stuff stimulant on top of your problem. And so Dr. Silkwood told me what alcoholism is. And I like to read a little part, he says here, to tell you more about, I'm watching the light um, so that I don't go over and hopefully I'll get there. Um, but if, if I do go over, put me on your resentment list. We'll talk about it in the fourth step. It's better to give a resentment than to get one. Um, he says, um, I, I have the fourth edition by the way. Um, he says, men and women drink Essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. I quickly identified with that. Because that was me. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, caused me a lot of problems. But I wouldn't admit to it. Not then. They cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. I'm going to stop there for a minute. I don't know about you, but when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, did you know what normal was? Because I didn't. Because the abnormal was what was normal. You know? And so, 
he further talks about it. He says, I have an allergy. An allergy to alcohol, right? That's what Dr. Silkworth says. But this isn't, remember, the definition of an allergy is to have an abnormal reaction to a liquid substance or food, right? So in case you're thinking, like I was, an allergy, it's like having an allergy to strawberries or hay fever where you sneeze or you get a rash. When I drink alcohol, I don't sneeze, right? I don't get a rash. I break out in self-will, you know, a rash of self-will, but I don't. But he's saying, I have an abnormal reaction when I drink alcohol. It's an allergy. And so here he's, he's talking about, um, I was telling this to my home group last night, and I think I remember to share it with you. He says, I can't tell the truth from the false, because I'm not normal. Abnormal is normal for me. You know, I, I, and he says, um, I was reading um, another, um, about another, a book from another alcoholic. I read a lot of books that alcoholics, recovered alcoholics have written because they inform me. And, um, and he talks about, um, I, I'm blinded to reality. My reality is, is abnormal because it's how I have become so distorted and embedded into my alcoholism that it is normal for me to think the way I think and don't think anything wrong. I don't know what is true anymore. That's why that word admit to me was so important to talk about tonight because it is in there that I became associated and introduced to the truth about me and what I had become. And so when he says that my alcoholic life, when I'm not drinking, I'm in a state of restless, irritable, and discontent. Unless I can experience again a sense of ease and comfort. So if I get into that state, and I'm, I tell you right now, I'm not super sober. I don't walk around with a halo. I told you I counted seven curse words today because I'm keeping track. I, if I'm not careful, I can still get into that irritable, discontented, and ill at ease depending on my spiritual condition. So it doesn't go away, you know? And so part of what he's telling me, he says, I can remember what ease and comfort I feel whenever I took that drink, what it does for me. My first sponsor, Philip V, used to tell me to play my tapes out. Do not romanticize your, your drinking career because your disease is cunning, baffling, and insidious. It will tell you it always you had a wonderful time, but it forget or forgets to tell you about the ending of it. You know, my drinking career taught me to places, institutions, and jails. You know, I know that. It's my story, and I don't want to forget it. And so when I get into that stage, he says, he talks about it when he says, he says, nothing short of total abstinence 
See, part of this recovery process is that I have to know what I got. If I don't know what I have, then how am I going to go about doing, finding the solution? In this book, it tells me that there are people, you, who have recovered from what I have. And I couldn't call it alcoholism back then. I can call it alcoholism now because I kept coming and I kept doing the work. But I am telling you from the first time I came in, I'm speaking from that level. So that those of you who are joining us for the first time or coming back, understand the depth of what this step means to me. That word admitted is huge. Because I'm going to describe to you something, I wrote this down, I read it somewhere. That I had to find out what normal looks like when you are drinking. Ed was a normie. Ed would have one drink all night. That I was disgusted by it. Because I always said, why bother? Nobody drinks and sips alcohol except you. So why bother? But he would just sip that all night. And I would be fixated on how he sips sign of an alcoholic and so I'm going to tell you I, I wrote this down oops oops sorry I need help I got it uh, that's what alcoholics do It's my hair, you can touch it. Okay. Okay. You want to put this in, here? in my pocket. You can touch me. <laughs> I will excuse your touch. Thank you. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I wrote this down and I wanted to read it to you what I look like when I take a drink. Because I had to find out what abnormal is. I'm going back and forth because I want you to understand how I look at admit today. It is important, because if I could not see it that way, I wouldn't be here. And I think, and I think, I know to my innermost self today, alcoholism is a disease that I have, and I had to diagnose it myself. This is a beautiful thing about this program that I have been blessed with. It allows me to diagnose myself. And I am an alcoholic who used to write my own prescriptions. And Alcoholics Anonymous gave me permission to do my own diagnosis. What's not to love? Because now I can diagnose me. And this is the first step. This is the step into whatever you guys were offering and I wanted to know. So I went out to look at what is abnormal and what is normal. I had to find out. It is important for me to know. Even today, sometimes I gotta check my thinking. That's why I've got a sponsor that I use. I meet with my sponsor once a week. Cause sometimes my thinking is not right. I gotta check it out with somebody else. I cannot trust it. And so I, I, I wanted to tell you, I, I wrote this down because somebody else wrote it. Another alcoholic, like I told you. But I want to tell you what happens to Paulette when I take a drink. So I can tell you how I saw myself and it was normal. 
Because when everybody else comes home, including my dear parted Ed, he takes a drink and he sits in his comfortable chair and he puts his feet up and he says, ha. Ease and comfort, as Dr. Silkworth says. That's not me. Never was from the first time I took a drink. And after he takes a sip, he may not touch it for the rest of the night. He'll get up and have dinner and then go to bed. That's never been me. You have to understand the disease I have. And then he's, this is what happens to me. When I take a drink, instantly I respond. How do I respond? I'm going to tell, describe it. It passes my lips first. And when it passes over my lips, I get a tingle. Then it crosses over my teeth. And then the kind, then my teeth start chattering up and down. Something magical is happening. And when it hits my tongue, I can feel my tongue expand and swell. And thank God this alcoholic wrote this down because I have to remember it. And then he says, once I feel it swelling and it reaches my cheeks and then it my cheeks flutter in and out. What happened is that I can feel it passing through my sinus cavity. One sip. And what happens? It hits my forehead. And once it hits my forehead, huh, absolutely indescribable, wonderful. And I haven't even swallowed that sip yet. That first sip is still in my mouth. Once I do swallow it, great things will begin to happen. My chest or my breast will expand. And then alcohol will hit my stomach and explode like a bomb. And then it starts racing up my arms. And what happened is, I reach out my hands and finger and everything starts to vibrate. One sip. And then, I'm five feet 11, but I feel like six feet two. One sip. And then it hits my feet and my toes. And here is the kicker. I get an intense feeling to get up and go and go and do something incredible. What happens? I disappear. That's normal for me. And to Ed, that's abnormal. I had to know the difference in order for me to admit. And so when I start to come into AA and start to get into the book and listen to and read, I had to read the big book every day, I realized that a drunk like me has to understand what I have so that I can move into the solution because there is a solution and that solution is the God of my understanding a higher power back then they would say it was a group of drunks or good orderly direction for drunk people like me who was hesitant 
But when I talk about being powerless, it's talking about, for me, the, uh, I, I had no power over alcohol. So here is what I can share with you that helped me to embrace the first step from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and Dr. Silver. He says total abstinence is what I have to do. So if I have a body, if, if I can't drink because of my body, and I can't quit drinking because of my mind, then I'm powerless over alcohol. If I can clearly see that in the things I have described to you, and Dr. Silkwood is telling me that I am powerless over alcohol and I have a problem. This is my problem, if I can see it. And for me to see it is to admit to it. And that, I admit, has depth to it for me. And so he says, Dr. Silkwood talks about having this destructive forces in us. And I certainly can identify. There's two of them. He talks about the physical force and the obsession of the mind. And I sure know what it is like to have an obsessive mind. Because an obsession is an idea that once it gets into my mind, no other idea gets in. It's overshadowing everything else, no thought. People would say to me, standing beside me, my own child, and he would give me that look that, Ma, don't drink no more. And it's as if he wasn't there. Nobody tells me anything and I hear it. Because all I hear is whatever my obsessive mind tells me. Also what Dr. Silkirk was talking to me about is that if I have this kind of obsessive mind and I recognize that it is in my mind, that my mind is out to kill me because once my, that obsession to drink is in here and nothing, no other idea or thought gets in it, it's only a matter of time before I act out on it. The actions I'm going to take if nothing interferes with that idea. And he says, what happens is if nothing interferes with it, I'm back on the wheel, that wheel again. And he's talking to me when he says that because I'm defiant. I don't understand that I am powerless yet. I need to go out and do some more research. And so all these things are running through my mind as I sit into a meeting and hear people talk about going back out. This is what happened. You pick up where you left off, stuff like that. Because you know how we are, we have all these slogans. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about, but I'm going to listen. And I'm telling you, when I read it, I understood. Because he says... Once that obsession is there, if I don't do something about it, sooner or later I'm going to act out on it. And this self-destructive force that is in me, as an alcoholic, we have it, he says, it's going to lead me right back to where I was. But I want to tell you something. That admit 
which I'm harping on. It's the word that I picked up at new. I always pick up a new word when I do the steps and review it. I think I will call it grace. Undeserved favor. At a moment where I didn't think I would deserve any kind of help. When I admit that to Ed that night in that car on the way to the psychiatric hospital, that moment that I used to call moment of clarity was a moment of grace. That God in his own infinite wisdom and mercy, the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, powerless over alcohol. The courage to change the things I can by coming into an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and sitting down and telling you I need help. But the most important part of that serenity prayer is the wisdom to know the difference. I knew then when I admitted that I was powerless over alcohol, that was now the last part I was asking. And when I say, God grant me, I'm asking, I am admitting that I have something wrong with me, and I now know. So total abstinence, he says. Please do not be like me. When I came into my first AA meeting, I was smoking marijuana. That isn't the program that works for me. Thank God for old timers who speak about the truth. And the speaker said, you can't be sober and high at the same time. And it stayed with me because I was mad at him. What the hell is he talking about? And when he said that, I, that was the only thing I heard in the whole meeting. I couldn't wait to ask my sober friend Evelyn who had one year, what the hell is he talking about? And she said, total abstinence. No mood altering substance in your system. So I go home. Total abstinence. Dr. Silkworth talks about it in the doctor's opinion. And I took my marijuana oriental dish off my dresser and I marched to my small bathroom and I had a funeral. <laughs> and I dumped it down the toilet and I cried real tears for the first time. <laughs> took me years to cry real tears in AA after that. But that caused me to call because I admitted that word has depth and width and is divine. It brings me to see myself through the truth of who I am. But not only does it have depth, it comes with humility. That is whispered in step one. And so I am trying to share with you that through my own recovery, and reading these wonderful words, as my friend Doc always says, thank God they wrote it down, is that I, step one was just the beginning. I think in the book he talks about it's like um, laying the first slab of concrete. You're building a house. And the first step is the first slab of concrete. You know you can't lay on this concrete forever because you're exposed to the elements. And so you need to build the rest of the rooms on this house. And the first step gives you the foundation. 
So total abstinent, Paulette. You're powerless, what powerless looks like. I've already told you, I cannot control my drinking. My mind, I can't quit drinking because of my mind. And I can't stop drinking because of my body. My physical craving is just as intense as my mental obsession. It's like scratching a rash until it bleeds. That's the kind of alcoholism I have. And so when I understood that, not very much in the beginning, but enough to scare me. As they said, you can't scare an alcoholic. I, I believe you can today, some of us. I realized that coming in to Alcoholics Anonymous, how blinded I was to reality. And I am going to tell you this little thing I read recently by Joe McHugh wrote it from Charlie, Joe and Charlie. And I hope I don't mess it up. It was a father writing a letter to his son. I told my home group last night I wasn't so good at it, so I'm hoping I'm better tonight. He bought two horses. And he's having difficulty telling them apart. So he's writing to his son. So he says, I don't know what to do about telling these two horses. I don't know. So I'm going to try a wrong method. Remember I told you about me, wrong method. I'm going to do something. So he trims the tail on one of the horses so it would be shorter. So he could tell them apart. But you know, it grows back. So now he's back to square one. So then he tries putting chalk on the hoof of the horse. But of course, the horse walks in water. The chalk is gone. And he's, having a, he's a, at a, in a dilemma to tell these two horses apart. He cannot differentiate these two horses. And then he says to his son in the last line of the letter, he says, I don't know what else to do about these, this black horse and white horse. <laughs> Can't see that he had two different color horses from the beginning. Sounds exactly like me. I'm blinded to reality when I'm in the throes of my disease as step one talks about. I can't tell the truth from the false. I have no power to do that when I'm in the midst of my disease, and I, I shared it with you. And so when, that's why that word admit is important to me. Because if I can't admit to this, then all is lost. Because all the remaining 11 steps that we will be going through will mean nothing because I will not be able to do any of them if I cannot admit that I am licked. John Barleycorn has finally got me over the barrel and my, the love of my life has finally turned on me and the fear that I have always dreaded over the years that what will I do when alcohol does not help me anymore? It stopped working. What do I do? God, in the word admit, as I understand, God showed up and said, this is what you do. And I crawled into these rooms and I 
absolutely, absolutely sat in his room at the back of the room, not knowing what was going to happen to me. I call it a mustard seed of faith. And when I sat in the back of the room, I was just, I, I call it break glass upon emergency. Because that's the kind of prayers I did. And I hope that somehow I'll be relieved of my alcoholism. And for now, I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to end with something I wanted, I wanted to read to you. Because I think I'm going over now, eh? Am I? Yeah, okay, I'm going to wrap it up now. I don't want, to, I don't want you to, um, to, I don't want to be on your resentment list. Um, this step, this first step, has to be taken 100%. All the others can be done imperfectly at first. For those of you who were lazy and heard the word imperfectly, spoiler alert, at first. <laughs> and the program will still work. But the first step has to be taken 100%. It is like damming up water, he says. If you dam it up 99%, the dam will break. But if the water is dammed up 100%, it will be forced to seek another way out. The first step is about surrender. The surrender involved in facing the truth. Admit, Father John Doe, one of our benefactors and great birth, thank God. That step one is, is the only non-spiritual step. I have to make it alone. I've got to take it alone. But I believe the ability to make it is what I believe in, in this, in admit. It's grace. Grace because there are too many people who die without ever making it. And so I'm going to end with the Bible says, and it's not a religious program, so don't be emailing me and text me about it. It's not a religious program, but I do find some kind of words in the Bible that helps me with my continue seeking the truth. And the Bible says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set me free. And it's from John 8, um, verses 32. And I... In this step one, I am just about to make a beginning. And here is what Jesus says in one of his teachings. He says, give up on you. Which means, give up on self-reliance. Surrender. Admit, Paulette. And great things will come. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
Nice. Oh man, that's my tip. Okay. Sweet. I think that's. You're honest. Okay. So cool. Oh, we got one more thing over here. Let's. That was yours too. Let's have another round for Paulette. Thank you. Secretary report. Oh, David, come on down. Hi, my name is David, and I am your alcoholic secretary. Oh, recovered alcoholic secretary. Um, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Uh, there are also QR codes on the back of um, every few chairs, so if you'd like to contribute that way, uh, we appreciate it. Um, and I have asked Courtney to come and read the recovered statement. Courtney, recovered alcoholic. Whoa, can't do the microphone. Okay. So recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body, page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. (laughs) 1940s style big book sponsorship uh, from forward to the second uh, edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% plus success rate. Um, is there anyone here who needs a sponsor? Okay. Uh, we have a couple of people. Uh, please uh, come to the front of the room at the end of the meeting, and somebody will speak to you. Okay. Um, can I have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Please join us Monday nights. Uh, my other home group is a big book study meeting. Uh, it happens on the third floor of this building, uh, where the book comes alive. Not literally, though. It's um, not in a frightening sort of vampire way, but um, it's a good meeting. Uh, fellowship is at 6.30. The big book study starts at 7.15. Uh, we also have merchandise at the back for people who like to shop. Uh, CDs, mugs, large print book, big books, and uh, the little red book and big book dictionaries for sale. 
Uh, we meet here every Thursday, starting properly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. See you next week. Thank you. Okay, so we have tonight's session and all the past speakers' podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night's Big Book study that we just mentioned. And those who would like to wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up in the center aisle. And let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. And we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But I the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. Heart is heavy. Our soul is thirsty. They can. I am desperately in need of restoration. Yeah, and I am ready for you to take me higher. Yeah, the only thing that I can do. It doesn't matter
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
Kristen turn each way, flowers blooming all the time right outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Got one man that just won't say. 